0: Hi, this is Monica Olivis. I love running, eating, and sharing the best tips and strategies to help you run your best life. It's time to get inspired, do the work, and be brave so you can chase down your goals. Welcome to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast. Last year, I broke a bone in my left foot and couldn't run. I was devastated, very stressed, and super anxious, and I felt very alone because running is, I mean, might be considered my only social activity. It is my favorite hobby. It is what I talk about on the podcast here, on the blog, which I've been doing for close to 10 years. It's my favorite thing. Getting hurt and then being told by a doctor, basically, don't run for six to eight weeks. Okay, bye. No. No. How about no? I felt like that was salt on the wound, basically, on some level. I now couldn't run and didn't really have an action plan for building back up, for preventing this from happening again. I just felt so discouraged and thought unacceptable. So I did a ton of research, and one of the things that I found was the Doc on the Run podcast where there is hope and tips on recovery, on building back up, on injury prevention. And the host is Dr. Christopher Segler. He's a foot and ankle surgeon, and an avid runner, so he really gets it. I am removed now from the injury, but I still listen to the show because – all of his tips are very helpful. There's also a lot of reminders for runners on how not to get injured. If you have a past history of injury, how to keep that in mind and still get stronger and faster. And he just, I'd like to think is very straight talk style. Sometimes it's what we need to hear. Sometimes you do need to be told this is the situation if you continue to run. And other times you need someone smart to guide you on how to build back up and recover from something like a running injury. It is such a good balance of all of those things. So I am still a huge fan of the show and it was such a lifeline. I probably listened to episodes more than once as I was injured and just trying to get more education and all of the information that I could to be able to bounce back and share this info with you. So I'm really excited to talk to him today. He has tons of very helpful tips that we are going to share. But before we catch up with him, we need to start with a warm up. I'm going to keep the warm up super short today since the interview is so good. But first, I need to warn you the warm up today is basically a non glamorous. Behind the scenes peak of the Runny Repeat podcast. The interview is amazing, but about five minutes into it, my what was supposed to be very fancy internet shut down and I could not reconnect. So the rest of the interview is on my end from my phone, which means the audio quality on my end took a big hit. Luckily, Dr. Segler, in addition to being a runner and a doctor, is also a very successful speaker and podcaster. He ran with it, ran with it, you know I love to do that, and he is mainly just spitting tons of knowledge at us on his high-quality microphone and audio, so it is, for the most part, all the info you need is top quality, and... That's not even a big deal compared to part two of the behind the scenes, which is actually maybe it's a blessing in disguise that my microphone shut down and I was on my phone. So you can't, the audio is not as good on my end because later in the interview, Diego, and if you're not familiar, Diego is my two year old golden retriever. He's gorgeous. I'll put a picture in the show notes because that's very important. If you're having a challenging day, look at some pictures or video of Diego. He's a massive, massive dog, but also a love bug. Anyways, he threw up under the desk. This has he this has never happened. It's not just that it's never happened while I was podcasting. It's never happened, period. He has never randomly needed to boot and rally. Never. This has never happened before. So there's that. And I decided the show must go on. I acted like nothing. I wasn't going to interrupt. I had already had enough challenges on my end. And I feel like it's very instilled in me as someone that has been a cheerleader going to competitions and in races and doing reporting and journalism, that stuff happens when you're on live and you just keep going, right? Right. Right, so that's what I did. I just kept going, acted like nothing was happening. It might happen. Hopefully, I would be brave enough to do that in the middle of a race, if needed. But those are the two little behind the scenes life, a little peek behind the curtain of the Runny Repeat podcast. And number three, the Pilot on the Miles Challenge was a little different this year. Everyone who joined got a printable miles tracker with your choice of 50 miles, 100 miles, or 200 miles. And it was amazing. Everyone that participated really, really loved it. I think the tracker was something very fun. It's a very visible way to see every mile. I think sometimes, this, for a lot of reasons, I think it just clicked. Because we don't have races to run this year. We haven't. So you're not necessarily collecting medals or certificates for races or even photos of races. And sometimes too, not having those races, we're not training. So we're just not running as much or kind of running aimlessly and not realizing how many miles you're doing, how much time you are still investing in this. And having the miles tracker, there were a lot of people who signed up for the 100 miles tracker and finished it before the end of the month, which was super amazing. Or some people finished the 50 miles tracker and then started the 100 miles one. They surpassed their miles. It was very awesome, very inspirational. I am so proud of everyone that participated. And I went back this month to the normal running calendar that I usually share. It's a printable with... Running workout suggestion days and the home workouts that you can do. I know I'm in Southern California, so a lot of the gyms are back closed again. They are, for the most part, things you do without any equipment, so you can do them at home. Running isn't canceled, so you can run around your neighborhood and then do these workouts. But I was getting a couple of requests about the miles tracker. People were curious if I was going to send out another one. And this is where you come in. What's your little behind-the-scenes situation? What has been most helpful for you to feel accomplished, feel motivated, feel like you have some accountability? I am curious, what would you prefer? Either the calendar or the miles tracker or both, if you're using both, which I know some people are as well. Let me know. Comment on this post on runeatrepeat.com Or you can chime in on today's post on Instagram. And yeah, I am working on all of the things that I am going to share to make sure that we can really run our best life in 2021. I'm racing you to next year. I'm out of here. I vote we just all run as fast as we can to 2021. Who's with me? And then once we're there, what are we going to do? I have been putting together a ton of stuff. In the beginning of this year, I did the goal setting planner, which was amazing until er, record scratch, everything shut down. So I think that there are probably a lot of goals that were just put on hold that we can still continue to work on. And will the running calendar be more helpful? I thought that the Miles Tracker was also super fun. There was like a game element to it, a feeling like you are kind of going through a game board, which I thought was also very fun as well. So let me know your thoughts. Like I said, you can either chime in on this post. All the show notes for today's episode will be on runnyrepeat.com or chime in on today's Instagram at runnyrepeat. And please follow me, comment, or DM with any questions. I will see you over there after this episode. Now let's talk to Dr. Christopher Segler. Dr. Christopher Segler is a foot and ankle surgeon based out of San Francisco, California. His primary focus is helping injured runners continue running while they heal. He serves on the board of medical advisors of the International Foot and Ankle Foundation for Education and Research. He also literally wrote the book on runner's heel pain, which I love. And what you probably want to know, at least for today's show purposes and getting more info, is he's is a real runner. He is an marathoner, a 15-time Ironman triathlon finisher, and has been ranked as an Ironman all-world athlete. He also competed in the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. Remember, travel, how awesome is that? I'll put links to his website where you can contact him for more information. And we do mention a couple of resources that I am a huge fan of. And I highly recommend if you are, have any sort of history of injury or dealing with an injury right now that you go and check those out. All of that will be in the show notes at runitrepeat.com. Now let's get to the interview. I've been super excited to talk to you. I've been listening to your show for a year now. I found it in desperation. I'm sure one night when I was kind of looking for information when I broke my foot and It took a long time for me to get a proper diagnosis and wishful thinking, hoping that it was just tendinitis and all these different things. And what really was super helpful to me is when I found a local doctor that was just so good with runners and got me the MRI that I needed. And once we confirmed, it was broken, it was broken. But I listened to your show and I still do too, because it's so snackable, as I like to call it, you know, the episodes are just like, this is the information, this is what you need to know. And especially I think when runners, when we start to get an injury, it's so stressful. And you're not, so you're not really thinking very clearly. And um, that adds to the problem for sure. So what I love is even when you're not injured, there's so much information that you have in terms of if you start to feel a little something what should a runner do instead of freaking yeah. out
1: <laughs> right cuz it goes both ways right there are lots of runners who just ignore things and think oh it's going to be fine and then there's the other side of it where you completely freak out and you think oh i must have a sesamoid fracture i must have a partial tear in my Achilles tendon you think it's something terrible when it's really not you know uh, but it can go both ways. And so it is important to really, you know, I think have a proper perspective on it for sure. But yeah, so so you're all better now?
0: I am better now. Um, I I went back because it was my first real injury. And leading up to this, I feel like I was very resilient. I would yeah. do a lot of miles, a lot of races, mm-hmm. a little bit of recovery, you yeah. know, I, and I was fine. I was fine for the most part. Now, anytime I get like the slightest anything, I freak out. Yeah, right. And so even now I am still trying to be super mindful of it, but I think it's very challenging in that with long distance running, it is so much of mind over matter and you have to Push through, and you have to obviously be very strong and tough, and all of these things. So you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. But I think sometimes we struggle with where's the line between injury and discomfort. How do you suggest that runners kind of pay attention to that?
1: Yeah, well, that is that is a big thing, right? Is uh, trying to figure out what is the difference between discomfort. You should work through, push through or identify as an actual problem area that warrants you slowing down and and stopping whatever you're doing that's causing that discomfort. That really is the magic question. I mean, you know, the simplest thing is if the way you think about it is that, you know, if you're really training for endurance events, if you're a distance runner, you have to put in lots of miles. That's lots of physical abuse. So the whole goal, if you're coaching yourself or if you have a coach, if it's your coach you know who's coaching you, it's their job to actually keep you just below your threshold for injury. That's really the long and the short of it, is that for the coach to actually do the most effective job, they're supposed to keep you just below your threshold for injury all the time. That way, you're actually putting in the maximum amount of effort that you can to train and actually get tissue damage that is productive To stimulate a healing response and make you stronger for your next workout, and so on and so forth. But that's why you have different runs, right? If you run all of your runs at the same pace, you're at maximum risk of injury because you're stressing all the things in the same way. But when you do speed work, your cadence is different, your form is different, you stress things differently than when you do a a 20 mile base run. You know, there's a huge difference in those workouts. But it's your coach's job to orchestrate all those things that you are stressing things differently, but recovering in between on every individual structure in a way that allows you to continue to progress and get stronger and stronger and faster and faster over the months and years. So the big trick is to you know, really identify when is this actually a problem? When is it really something that has to be identified as a problem? And that's where the real trouble comes in. So what I think of as a general rule is that if you can – Uh, identify a problem that is actually sore for more than a couple of days, that's a serious problem. I think a lot of times you can notice that when you run, but it depends upon the run and what you're doing and what the structure is.
0: How do we gauge at what point something is an injury, our body giving us a heads up versus normal training discomfort?
1: Okay, that's a great question. So you hear all kinds of different things about that. One of the common things I hear uh, from running coaches and lots of other people is that if you have an injury that lingers for more than three days, you should take time off. Last month was supposed to be Las Vegas. This month is supposed to be Hawaii. Um, I was doing a lecture that was supposed to be in Scotland earlier. I lecture a lot at medical conferences on running injuries. And it is astonishing to me how intractable this problem is of wanting a specific timeline that just tells us this is what you do. It's a little bit crazy given that we're human beings and we're all different, but it is it is crazy. And I was at a conference, uh, it was actually Hawaii last year. And I gave a lecture on stress fractures, and I was explaining all of this stuff, which really centered around how it is that you can reduce the problems that people get from prolonged periods of time in a fracture walking boot when it's not necessary, or too much time on crutches when it's not really necessary. And it was all about stress fractures. And at the end, a doctor actually raised his hand in the question and answer period, and he said, okay, so let's say a runner a normal you know healthy runner in their 20s or 30s uh metatarsal stress fracture like a fourth metatarsal how long would you keep them in a boot and i actually like just looked and said were you not listening and (laughs) like half the audience started laughing but i mean i was like this is the whole point is there isn't it depends it depends on what it is is it a stress response is a stress reaction is it a true stress fracture is it you know at the base of the fifth metatarsal is it in the neck of the second metatarsal it actually does matter so the thing is though is the way that i think about it is rather than thinking you know does it just hurt it's all these things that you have that you can assess yourself that you really can get real clues on how bad it is so Rather than saying, well, if it hurts when you run, well, what does that mean? Like, if you put on really cushy shoes that, you know, or something that really protects it, something like Hoka's, and you run three miles, does it hurt them? Or does it hurt when you're doing speed work? Or does it hurt when you're doing hill repeats? Or did it just hurt because you ran 13 miles, you know, up Mount Diablo and then down Mount Diablo, where it's, you know, all uphill and then all downhill? Like, I mean... I had pain last time I did that, um, and it was in my left foot. I know that's basically a, a developing stress reaction in a metatarsal, but it only hurt on the downhill when I was running really fast, continually downhill on a trail, and then it didn't hurt the next day, and I pushed on it, and it didn't hurt. So these things that I think of that really give you the clues are not just, you know, how much it hurts, but it is where. So if you have generalized soreness and it's very difficult for you to actually pinpoint the soreness, if you can't find one spot where it really hurts right there, well, it's probably just some kind of, you know, response that your body has that's actually going to continue to progress and heal. You obviously shouldn't do things that you know really make it hurt. Um, You know, you should run differently or train differently during that period where it's actually kind of recovering. But there's no hard and fast rules. So, you know, in general, though, if you can push on that spot and it hurts, well, that's an indication that you have, you know, when you have what we call pinpoint tenderness, where it's one specific anatomic location, location like, you know, in a specific part of the fourth metatarsal or right in the, this region of your Achilles called the watershed region and It hurts when you squeeze it. Well, that's a good indication that you have trouble right there and very specific trouble. So more, the more specific it is, the worse it is. So if you um, have pain when you're running, and after you get done running, you know, you take a shower, you do all your recovery stuff, and then, you know, you poke around and you find that spot that hurts, we should make note of that. And what's most useful is to take the pain journal, you know, and write down what you did, uh, how much it hurts on a scale of one to 10 when you're just sitting there, how much it hurts when you're actually walking around, how much it hurts if you're running, how much it hurts when you push on it. And then do you have anything that indicates serious damage, like bruising or swelling? So if you have bruising, that's a bad sign. That means you cracked something, you tore something, you ripped something. You did some kind of tissue damage that actually really does signify a a prolonged healing period is about to happen, but it doesn't tell you everything. So if you have swelling, that means you have an inflammatory response where you have tissue damage and you have a healing response actually happening but you can monitor that. Right now, the bruising doesn't vanish very quickly, but it kind of gives you this sudden snapshot of how much trouble you've had. Like for me, I, I actually had um, a perineal tendon issue four weeks before Ironman Florida. I won't bore you with the whole backstory, but I got a huge bruise, like like about that big, like a huge bruise. Almost the entire side of my foot and ankle was bruised. And I woke up and, and it was just four weeks before Ironman Florida. And I was like, Man, that was really, really stupid. And I thought, I am completely screwed. I know how this goes. Like, if I went to almost any podiatrist, they would say, you need a fracture walking boot for four to six weeks. There is no way you can do Ironman Florida. But I wore a boot for a couple of days And then I checked to see. So I put, you know, the swelling was gone. The bruise was still there because it's only been a couple of days, but it didn't have pain when I pushed on it. So I thought, okay, well, I'm gonna ride my bike and see what happens. Didn't hurt. So I waited and that seemed okay. Didn't hurt the next morning. I pushed on it, still didn't hurt. So I rode longer and then I rode some more. And long story short, I went to uh, Ironman Florida and that was my fastest Ironman my entire life. So, you know... You just have to be sensible about it. But I have had episodes myself, even when I was in med school, I got a stress fracture and was told to cancel a trip, wear a fracture walking boot for six weeks. And that really shaped a lot of what I do because the guy that told me that wrote a textbook, a foot and ankle surgery textbook. So, you know, you can't ignore him and then expect to like go through the next few years of medical school and do well because he's going to think you're an idiot. So I wore the boot for six weeks. But when when I did that, to tell you how long ago it was, the very first uh, season of Survivor was on television. And I was at home and I was watching Survivor and I'd had the boot for, I don't know, several days or a week or something. I was pushing on my foot, you know, playing doctor because it was my first year of medical school. And so I'm like thinking about the anatomy. I'm pushing on it. And I was thinking, this is crazy. It doesn't even hurt. I can't believe I really need to wear a boot for six weeks. Now, if I could go back in time and I could advise that guy sitting on the couch, I would have said, you should go on your trip. You should not have your friend Will pissed off at you because you're missing this trip and he's having to cancel his trip because of your bum foot. I would have been able to do it and I'd be willing to bet anything that that's true. So, you know, a lot of times we get this diagnosis because we're told, we, you know, your foot hurts. That's a real injury. Just take time off. But You know, you have to try to figure out a way instead of just taking time off to actually monitor it, track your pain, track your symptoms, and then see if you can add in other activity that is a sufficient substitute so you can maintain your fitness while that thing just calms down. That's what's most important, you know, but there's no, there's no set rule or timeline for anybody, but you do have all these clues and most people do not do that, you know, I see people that will have videos of their running form. They'll track everything. They have their, their training logs, their heart rates. And they're like, how much did it hurt? Oh, I don't know. Well, why don't you know? I mean, you track your heart rate. You tra- I, get, I mean, when I was doing all the like, you know, lots of Ironman racing, I would get lactic threshold testing before every race to see exactly how many watts I could go on the bike and still run fast on the marathon. So if you think about that, it's pretty absurd that you won't even track your pain when you think you might have an injury. But most runners don't you know so i mean that's why the pain journal so it's a, a thing i think we're going to put on your website or link to it or whatever so people can get it and just download it and print it out so they don't have to try to make up their own but it's a, it's really crucial that when you think you have an impending injury that you track what's going on so you can figure out what to do next and it's really important when you start returning because if you rate your pain you know while you're running or while you're sitting still or whatever as a 7 out of 10 but then you go for your first run and it's like a 1 out of 10 well who cares i mean You know, that's not significant, but you don't have a way to track it if you don't write it down. That's for sure. So, you know, I don't know how I felt on my last run. You know, if I don't write it down and I don't look at it, I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I write all that stuff down, but I don't I write down my pace. I write down everything. I track stuff, but I don't know if I don't go back and look at it. You know, that's the thing.
0: Yeah, well, you said that on one of your podcasts, and it really resonated with me. That after you are done with a run, you don't necessarily remember how you felt on any given mile or what your effort level was once you kind of move on, and it, it just like stuck with me because I was like, yeah, I can't tell you what my effort level was on mile one versus mile five of my last run, and or if like where on the scale, kind of my foot was bugging me or felt tight or anything. And once it started to hurt again, I just realized if it did hurt or if it was tight, I realized like I needed to track this because a lot of it was, at least for me at this point, psychological, right? Like right. any little tightness, I was, I was freaking out and I needed to be able to see, and I also need to respect if my body is telling me something and I couldn't tell just mm-hmm. by, you know, off the top of my head. So I feel like the pain journal has been super helpful and also being able to track and use a consistent scale, I right. think, of where your pain level is. Do you recommend like a one out of five, one out of 10? And well, is that yeah, fairly universal?
1: It doesn't matter. Whatever you makes sense to you is what you should use. To put it in perspective, there was a guy uh, that I saw who uh, he went into the military, but you know, basically like Navy SEALs training. So he was an, a total athlete for sure. And um, he had a really terrible injury, horrible injury. He was in the hospital with a hole all the way through his foot. And they would shove gauze in the hole, and then they would rip it out the next day and repack it. That is very, very painful. And so I spoke to him and I asked him while he was in the hospital when this happened, I was talking to him on the phone. I was like, okay, so how much does it hurt? And he said, oh, I've been tracking that, you know, because I'd worked with him before. And he said, oh, don't worry, I've been tracking that. And I said, or what is it? He's well, doc, uh, yesterday, it was a 2.4 and the day before that it was a a 2.5 and I was like okay so you basically have a hole all the way through your foot you can see the bone in your foot and you're calling it a 2.4 so what is a 10 like (laughs) I mean what is a 10 is that where you get like a tortured for a year you know but to him that made sense so he actually could compare you know and I guess being somebody who's a navy seal to him, he's never going to acknowledge an eight out of 10 pain unless somebody cuts his arm off, you know, that's that scale made sense to him. So in him, in his case, you know, 2.4 was improvement over 2.5. Oh um, it seems kind of laughable, because, you know, I probably have a 2.5 getting out of my car. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but it, it just depends on the scale that makes sense to you. So again, you're taking a, a measure that matters, and you're trying to track it in a way that's meaningful to you and doctors don't generally ask you to do this so you know in the hospital they always ask you the scale of one to ten there's this whole pain analog thing that has these little faces well which one looks most like you you know and i mean you can do it however you want but i think the reality is is you've got to have something that actually makes sense to you that is that you can just immediately think of and a scale one to ten is pretty easy but you know you don't have to do it that way you just have to do what makes sense
0: Now, you mentioned going to conferences and speaking to other doctors. Thank God for doctors who also are athletes and don't just tell us to stop running. How does someone find a doctor that is going to actually work with them and just not tell them to stop running?
1: The thing is is and I did this myself. So when I, you know, long before I went to medical school, I got injured racing motorcycles and I saw a guy who, you know, he was an orthopedic surgeon that taught at a university. He was a nice guy. I really liked him. He was very good at what he did, all that sort of stuff. He had all the right qualifications. And fortunately, he didn't tell me to really stop racing necessarily, but he completely misunderstood the importance of what I was doing because I was racing professionally and my knee dislocated during a race I'd actually ripped it all apart but you know and he he listened to my story and he said oh well you know if it only when does it hurt does it only hurt when you're riding motorcycles and I was like well yeah but technically just on left-handed tracks like uh, Monterey Mexico Texas World Speedway it's actually okay at like San Angelo and, and Talladega they're right-handed tracks and he's like well I just quit riding motorcycles and I actually waited for him to laugh and he didn't You know, and, and I was like, Dr. Harvey, remember, like, if I win, I make a lot of money. And if I finish 10th, I basically like pay for one of my entry fees. But if I don't get on a motorcycle, I actually don't make any money at all. So I don't understand how that you really believe that's a solution. He's like, well, then you just have to have surgery. But the thing is, I was racing professionally and he kind of missed that. And, you know, when you're a runner and you're like, oh, I signed up for this marathon You know, a lot of doctors really don't understand running. It's not really as bad as it used to be. Uh, The doctor that actually sort of, he's in Dallas, but this guy that started the running movement, he almost lost his license, believe it or not. And it's actually really interesting, his whole story. But basically, when he wrote this book on basically teaching people to jog for health, he, he literally had a board action where the, this Texas Medical Board threatened to take away his license because doctors said that this is irresponsible. And we take people who are overweight, who have heart disease or undiagnosed heart conditions, and they start to run, they're going to die of heart attacks. And that's completely insane, you know, but now we understand that that's a good thing and it's a healthy thing. Yet so many doctors really think that you should stop running. But, the, but when I lecture at conferences, you know, I talk to them, I say, look, the deal is, is that stress fractures are probably the most common overtraining injury. And they're called stress fractures. They're not called running too much fractures. They're not called obsessed with an activity fracture. They are called stress fractures. So stress to the tissue is the problem. And when you as a physician tell a patient to stop running, you're addressing one thing. That's biomechanical stress. And then the next slide is Different forms of stress that inhibit healing and tissue recovery. And there is biomechanical stress, hormonal stressors, oxidative stressors, medication stressors, environmental stress, on and on and on, psychological stressors. So, if your boss is an asshole, you're going to actually have a slower recovery after hard workouts. You're actually going to take longer to get better. You're going to get sick more often. Like, that's and I don't I don't like bosses that's why I work for myself but it's been well documented in the medical literature like if you work in a toxic work environment if you are in a toxic relationship where it's there's a lot of discord that continually goes on it's actually detrimental to your health and we always think of it of getting sick but when you're an athlete it's either one either you're going to get sick or you're going to get injured and after my fastest Iron Man ever, I got pneumonia. Well, like normal healthy people don't get pneumonia. People who are overtrained get pneumonia. People who are overtrained get stress fractures. People who are overtrained get Achilles tendinosis. But that doesn't happen to healthy people, and it's stress. So anything you can do to mitigate those other forms of stress, change where that sort of overtraining uh, recovery line is. Now, Again, you're supposed to get as close as you can to that line without going over. You go over, you get sick or injured. But you know, if you don't do something about the stress, it's not going to happen. And when a doctor says, oh, just quit running, well, that's the like, biggest bang for your buck, massive reduction in stress. Because, But this doesn't make sense. Like, and I tell them, I said, look, no runner not one shows up at your office because their foot hurts. Every one of them shows up because they have a race on the calendar and their foot hurts and it's impeding their training and they're freaked out because they think they're not gonna be fit enough to accomplish their goal on race day. So when you say stop running, this is like telling somebody who's trying to retire, like a financial advisor saying, oh, well, you know, if you're not making money, you just quit your job, you know, and and like you're missing the point here. And that's really what, you know, physicians have to understand. So when you're looking for a doctor, the simplest thing is to find somebody that sort of, you know, seems to like on their website and stuff, report themselves to be a running expert. That's an easy way. A lot of runners, a lot of doctors don't do that, though. A lot of them, though, when you look on their websites, they will often have a bio, usually like, you know, about the staff and stuff. And then you can click on the doctor and you go to that. And there's usually like a whole bunch of stuff like, you know, American College of Foot and Ankle Surgeons, the blah, 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 a bunch of really boring credential stuff that they think you think is important that you couldn't care less about. And then at the bottom, it's like, you know... Uh, So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so is married. Her husband does this. They have two kids and she likes to run marathons, you know, and that's it. But that's a really good sign. So the thing is, is runners don't generally tell runners, why are you running? That's really stupid. You know, doctors tell runners that all the time. And uh, doctors at conferences tell me, why do you like to work with runners? They just like to run. I'm like, well, no kidding. They're runners. Of course, they like to run. You know, so my job is to help them run, not to tell them you should do something else. Uh, so just looking for runners, it, you know, as a physician, I think really helps. That can be a huge thing. And it, obviously if it's a, if there's a runner group and they lead that group or they go speak at those running groups a lot, that they generally have more of an interest in running biomechanics and treating runners specifically, if that's the case. So that's one of the simplest things to look for. Yeah.
0: I And that's exactly what I was thinking when you were saying, you know, when they tell you not to run, you are there to figure out how to run. And it, right. and it's not okay. And there's all these jokes about runners and full body casting a couple miles is fine, right? Like that's right. Oftentimes we're still gonna run. So it's like give us Definitely. boundaries, do it in a smart way, you know, work with someone that is going to help you improve and strengthen instead of Injure yourself
1: absolutely but you know you have to also the big thing is like i have there's one slide that i have in almost every talk i give it lectures at, at medical conferences to physicians and it's like you know when a runner has an injury the physician's goal is a make it look better on the x-ray number you know b uh, make the pain go away number c prevent further tissue damage or d help the runner achieve his or her goals And that's it, right? So when you put in those terms, it seems very obvious to them. But what we're taught in medical school is, oh, don't let them hurt themselves. Like, oh, we're supposed to like, you know, lock you up in a fracture walking boots. You won't run. We're supposed to tell you how stupid that is. We're supposed to make sure that you don't do any more damage. You know, we don't want to have an exacerbation of the injury. But that's not really our job at all. So it's not my accountant's job to tell me how to spend money or not. You know, it's my accountant's job to tell me how to achieve the goals that I want and like not get into trouble with the IRS. Yeah. That's the accountant's job. It's not the accountant's job to tell me, oh, you know, you'd make more money as a neurosurgeon. I mean, that's not what I want to do. So, yeah. you know, that it's, it's really important you find a physician who understands your goals. What your job in that as an injured runner somebody who's seeking help from a doctor is actually to go in... And not go in and talk about your foot pain. This is where I think it actually goes wrong for a lot of runners is that we go in and we're like, oh, well, you know, my foot hurts. So what should I do? Well, I just wear a boot. Here's your boot. See you later. Pay your copay on the way out. No, but the thing is, if you go in and you say, look, I signed up for this race. This race is really important to me. I really want to qualify for Boston. I have been training for years, and this is my year. I am going to qualify for Boston with or without your help, but I'm hoping you can help get this under control so that I can get back to training as quickly as possible. And if you go in and you explain it in those terms, then it makes a huge difference because then the doctor really understands how important it is, and it's easy to miss. I almost missed it one time on a young woman who – it's a, she, I use her example all the time when I speak at conferences, because people say, when should you never let somebody run? I was like, well, there is no never. And the guy said, never? And, I, and he said, what about like a sesamoid fracture? And I said, well, okay, that's a good example. Sesamoids are terrible. If you break it, we have to do surgery and take it out. Pretty much that simple. Your foot's never the same, for sure. And so I saw a woman, she was in her early 20s. She had a sesamoid stress fracture. And very clearly, it was really on that verge of where if she ran on it, it could break into a whole bunch of pieces and really screw her up. And so I was talking to her and I said, look, the reality is there are only a couple of things I'd tell you that you probably shouldn't run this marathon. And I think you shouldn't run the marathon. And she started crying. And I was like, look, I know it's upsetting, but the truth is it's not like an Ironman where they sell out a year in advance. You know, there's a marathon like every weekend somewhere in America. And you can always get into a marathon somewhere. So you could sign up for another one. You could, instead of doing LA, you could go do a different one. You know, you could still do one that's really enjoyable. You should just take some time off and do this. And she said, You don't understand. And she stood up in her kitchen. She turned around and she said, Look, I actually got a, a, a sarcoma and I was getting a massage. And my massage therapist was like, That's kind of weird. Turned out I actually had cancer and they took she's like and she said i like literally lost my ass to, ca- to cancer they took out all my gluteus medius and my gluteus maximus on this side they told me i'd never run they told me that I probably never walk right again and so now i have like this completely deformed butt where they cut out all the cancer but i told them i will run again anyway and so i have to do this marathon to prove to myself that i beat cancer And she said, so I signed up for this race. She said, truthfully, I just decided I wanted to do this. I don't even like running. I don't like to train. I don't want to run any more marathons. I don't care if my foot hurts, but I have to do this. And she said, you know, all my friends, my family, everybody had, they booked hotel rooms. They're all going to LA to watch me run this marathon. And I was like, you know what? You're right you should absolutely go run this marathon. So here's what you should do to try to decrease the stress so you maybe won't make it worse, but this is what you need to do and you should definitely run. Now, some doctors, in spite of that, because to me, this is like a no-brainer. She, This is crucial for who she is and the importance of her, you know, really and truly getting past this horrible thing of having cancer and having had surgery and everything else and proving that that's not going to limit her anyway. I think far exceeds the the p- potential risk to her from running and screwing up her foot. You know? And I think that's a that's a responsible gamble. I myself, like I actually, you know, I wanted to do Ironman Hawaii, I did 15 Ironmans, it took me nine years to qualify for Ironman Hawaii. At some years I did, I did as many as four Ironmans in one year. And I got pneumonia and got a chest x ray and was literally getting it, you know, in my doctor's office the day before I left for Hawaii, and he was just going Chris, this is a horrible, horrible, horrible idea. I was like, yeah, I know, Ben, and we both know I'm going. So uh, I'll die on the course, but I'm not going to spend another 10 years trying to qualify for Hawaii. So am I more likely or less likely to die if I take the prednisone? Like, you know, that's the question here. And he was just like, oh, my God. But, you know, he understood. And yeah. uh, and so I went to Hawaii and I did it. And it was not a fast race, but I didn't care. I did Ironman Hawaii. And I wanted to do that since I was a kid. And in those cases, like doctors will tell you, you can't do it. Anytime a doctor says you can't, that's the wrong thing, you know. And even with my kids, when they say... I, I can't, uh, you know, I'm like, that is not a phrase that you use. So you can say, how could I, what would I have to do? Uh, how could I do this? Anything else? But don't tell me you can't because that is not reality. And, and the doctors don't have the right to take away something that is actually that important to you. You know, it. we don't have a right to give you false hope. We can't say, Oh no, it's going to be fine. You'll be, you you'll set a PR with a broken foot. But I have had patients I've worked with that actually did do races with stress fractures and had PRs in marathons and Ironmans. We can't promise you that's going to happen, but at the same time, we actually don't have any more right to tell you it's impossible for you than we have to tell you something's possible when we don't think it's even remotely possible. And so, you know, I just think it's really important that people realize that if you communicate your goals very clearly and very effectively to your doctor not just about your pain or your discomfort, but what your actual athletic goals are, it makes it a lot easier for them to put it into the proper perspective.
0: Yeah, I love that. And especially too, because I think as athletes, endurance athletes, triathlons, runners, we're willing to do the work. Like if you tell me what I need to do, you know, because immediately if they just give you this very generic, like put the boot on six weeks, I'll Mm -hmm. see you then kind of thing. And you're just like, what can I do? I'm willing to do the work and now I have all this extra energy or time. Like I'm a dedicated person. What can I do? And I think too, you have the recovery guide. Is that for someone that is already kind of cleared to run or at what stage kind of in the process would the recovery guide be helpful for
1: someone? That's a good question. So You know, so I have some athletes, not many, but some will actually sign up for a full month of like everyday calls. Well, most people don't do that because that's expensive. You know, if somebody books like a one hour webcam visit, that's $350. Now I have had, you know, some elite athletes and stuff like that that really want to do it every day. So I created like a package thing where it's just checking every day. Because obviously if I talk to somebody, I've never talked to them. They have a bunch of MRIs and stuff. Well, it takes a lot of time to get through that. But that same person, I could talk to him the next day about what to do. And it doesn't take that long, but still very few people do that. But what happened is after doing that for a while, working with a lot of athletes who are trying to get through this, I realized that the same thing happens over and over and over with injured athletes along all phases of the recovery process is that, you know, I see runners and they will say, well, I got injured, you know, and I've I've been injured for like six weeks and I'm still not really moving. I'm still not doing anything. And, They've completely lost all their aerobic fitness. You know, they're weaker, they're stiffer. They're getting all these horrible consequences of not running at all. And I talked to them, I'm like, man, this would have been so awesome if you just did a few simple things like six weeks ago. And the thing is, is that also the interesting thing is that, you know, as an athlete, if you sign up for a marathon, you know that sign up for that marathon does not qualify you to run 26.2 miles and certainly not within your goal time. So if you decide you want to run four hours, well, you better do something, right? So Oprah ran her first marathon in under four hours with a team of people training her. So she's Oprah. I mean, Oprah can do anything, but Oprah cannot sign up for a marathon and just go run four hours. Nobody can, you know, you've got to train and you have to train a lot if you want to go really fast. But we know this is the interesting thing. It's sort of like the paradox of it that I don't ever get is that all of us do the same stuff. We sign up for it. We start talking to our friends. We get a training plan. We create a spreadsheet. We put times on our refrigerator. And the next thing you know, you get injured and you're like, the doctor says, oh, it's going to take six weeks. It's like, oh, okay. I guess I just have to sit here and wait for six weeks. But waiting is not a plan. You know, it, it just isn't. It's, it's, there's some price to pay every time. So if you're just waiting to heal, you're getting weaker and stiffer fast. And there's always stuff you can do. You know, what the journal is, the rapid recovery journal for runners, is it's just where I've taken all these things from me, all these conversations with runners over the years. And I would these people I talk to every day, I say, okay, a couple of simple things. What are you not doing today with your nutrition that you would be doing if you were actually in training? And they'll say, Oh, well, that doesn't matter because I'm not really training right now. Okay, so what's training? Training is you go out and you do tissue damage and then you recover and it heals, it gets stronger. And you can do more workouts, right? Right. Okay. Then what is it you have right now? You have tissue damage that you need to get stronger so that it will heal so you can go run. So you have an exaggerated version of that exact same thing you do every day. But now somehow nutrition doesn't matter. You can eat beer and pizza and ice cream and it's going to be fine. And it's not. Right. You wouldn't eat that when you're trying to qualify for Boston. Yeah. And what are you doing with your sleep? Well, it doesn't really matter because I'm not really training. So I'm not training. So I'm not exercising. And when I don't exercise, I don't sleep well anyway. So now I'm not really sleeping. So I watch a bunch of Netflix movies. And uh, but my kids get up and so I have to get up early anyway. Like, okay, would you do that if you did one of your long runs and your biggest build block right before your taper? No way. You'd be like, You gotta shut up and leave me alone. I gotta go to sleep, you know? You would never do that. And so all of these little things that you already know how to do in training when you get injured, I've seen athletes over and over and over all levels of athletes from sort of amateur new ish runners to people who are elite professional athletes who get injured and everything goes out the window. It's like their brain just falls apart, and they stop taking the stuff that they know makes them recover faster, and they're not doing any of it. And so it's really all these questions, just like what are, what could you do? You know, what is your goal first of all? And you know, it's really simple. If a doctor says you could run in six months, six months. Where'd you come up with that number? So if a doctor says you should run in six months, then I would make a goal of how am I going to run in three months? How am I going to run in four months? Something, but something better than whatever the doctor said. And then figure out, okay, well, let's imagine that's true, right? If the doctor says you'll run in 12 weeks. So, okay, so then you should immediately stop and say, all right, let's assume that's true. For that to be true what has to be reality number one the doctor has to be exactly right about what's going on and the doctor has to assume what i'm going to do in order to hit that timeline same way you would if you're going to hit a three-hour marathon you're going to have to do these workouts and so on right not get sick not you know not get injured and the doctor makes these same base assumptions so then if you think about that okay stands to reason if the doctor says you're going to run in this period of time but you do extra credit stuff like you eat more frequently when you're training, like you stay hydrated, like you sleep better, like you do stuff to push the inflammation out, get the inflammatory fluid out so that you move from the inflammatory phase to the proliferative phase faster, then it changes your timeline. Simple wow. as that. And so the, the journal basically helps you work through these exercises. And all these athletes I talk to daily, you know, every day when I talk to them every morning, it's like, okay, what'd you do yesterday? What did that feel like? It's not complicated. It's just like your runs. You just don't talk to a coach or a doctor when you do them. And it's the same thing with your foot. So, okay, what did it feel like? Does it feel better? Did that hurt? Okay, so those exercises were safe for you. That didn't hurt yesterday. It doesn't hurt this morning. Great. What are you going to do today that you didn't do yesterday that's going to further your recovery? like it's not complicated. So I'd like to say there's some sort of like secret sauce in there, but the truth is it's like stuff that everybody, you know, when they read it they're like, "Oh, this makes sense." But it is incredible. The athletes I talk to, people that are way faster than me, you know, way more accomplished than me and and every, I'll never run as fast as these people and I'm thinking, "How could you like how could you qualify for Boston every year, found a biotech company, you know, have a doctorate in whatever kind of science it is and not have a clue that you should track your pain?" Like not have a clue that you should just think, oh, what works in my recovery when I'm training? And what should I do right now that I'm recovering from this overtraining injury? It's the same thing. And that's really the stuff that's in there. So it's just a bunch of exercises to help you really focus, figure out what your goal is, figure out what you need to do differently today that you already know how to do that you're just not doing.
0: Yeah, I love that. It, it, it should be very obvious to us, but for whatever reason, it just isn't. And I think too, when you're injured and you're just extra stressed out and or kind of questioning everything, it's just hard to make smart choices sometimes when like
1: absolutely taking it, care of yourself. Well, it is because it's it really is. I mean, it sounds it sounds dramatic, but it's kind of like a catastrophic thing, like an automobile accident or something, because it's very disheartening, you know, because like a lot of people do this, you know, you say, Okay. I'm going to do this race. You know, you tell people, you put it on Facebook. I signed up for my first Ironman. I signed up for my first marathon. I signed up for my first half marathon or whatever. So you announce to the world that you're going to accomplish this goal. And then there's always some jerk, whether it's in your family, somebody at work, some, you know, somebody who says, oh, you know how hard that is? You know, that's it. Are you sure you can do that? I mean, I had close friends that when I had some of my Ironman goals, that I would say, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to go to Louisville. I'm going to do 12 hours. Like, you know, that's really hard race. I'm like, have you ever done it? No. Yeah. And then four months later, okay, I'm going to do under 11 hours at Ironman Florida. Oh, there's no way. You can't chop a full hour off your Ironman time in four months. Why not? Why not? You know? So, but then when you get injured, of course, and truthfully when I got injured that time and I had like, saw that bruise on my foot, one of the first thoughts that went through my mind was not what should I do? It's like, man, that guy, that said there's no way I could chop four hours off, you know, an hour in four months. That that guy is gonna say, Ha ha, see, I told you so. And that's the sort of poison that gets into our brains that you know, we're afraid people are gonna think we failed. And yeah. it really is harmful to us emotionally, you know, as athletes to have to really stop and go and question, well, did I do something really stupid? Like, did I cause this? Same, Like getting into a, a, a texting accident or something, you know, is it really my fault? Was this really foolish? Am I really out of my league here? Did I really, is it way too much for me to try to train this much? And you start having all of these negative thoughts, like cycling through your brain, convincing you that the whole thing was a big mistake. And then, of course through the midst of that then you go to your refrigerator you see your big training schedule on there and there's all these workouts that you haven't checked off because you can't do them and so you don't know what to do should i take this off my refrigerator and throw it in the trash should i just like can this whole thing what should i do you know and it really is psychologically and emotionally very very difficult and i think it's downplayed a lot because a lot of people are So what? you know you're gonna have more time now You know, and people who aren't runners do not understand that. They really don't. They think it's a good thing when you have that extra time because you don't have to train and that's not really the way it works.
0: Yeah, it is oddly devastating. Like I, I know it, like you said, it sounds dramatic, but I remember when I found the pain journal and just listening and feeling like, because it is very lonely. Sometimes you connect with people who are training for the same race as you or you have a running group, or you're working with a coach or whatever. And then if you're injured and you suddenly feel like "Er," the, you know, the brake is pulled and you're alone and you're the only one in the world that's injured and you can't run this race, you said you were going to run. And I think you, it, it can be very easy to get overwhelmed when, if you just focus on the things that you're saying to do in terms of what we focus on, what you can do, make sure that you are taking care of your sleep and your nutrition, all of that. I just think it helps to kind of recenter and really get like a specific plan of action for getting back to 100%.
1: Mm-hmm. It, Cause you have to have a plan. That's the whole thing. And the whole point is that because it's so emotional and because it's so devastating and because you don't really talk about it because in the grand scheme of things, I mean, compared to somebody dying of the coronavirus, you know, this is pretty minor, you know, so your foot hurts, big deal. I don't, I don't even see you limping, you know? So it's like, you're kind of ashamed to even talk about it in the way that actually really puts the level of importance and emotional gravity on it, that it actually deserves, you know, because you don't, you know, your friends aren't going to understand. And and then you're running friends, you kind of feel like a failure, because you feel like you made a mistake. And, Mm -hmm. and now you're don't even know if you're going to be able to run and all this other stuff. It's very, very difficult just for all of those, you know, sort of levels of confusion that we have, and we don't know who to talk to, we don't know how to talk about it or anything else. And so then we often just sort of regress into no action. And And it sort of cycles very quickly. So, and then you have to stop exercising. And we know also with people who are athletic, that when you stop exercising, your levels of stress hormones go up. So, you know, cortisol levels go up. You can measure it. I mean, it's not just that we're irritable, which we are, but we're irritable because we have increasing stress hormones because we can't exercise. And that helps us mitigate that that sort of increase in the stress hormones. And that does not happen to normal people who don't exercise. It is worse for us, actually. You know, but yeah. it's hard to talk well, about, you know.
0: Yeah, it's this funny cycle because you're like, when something happens, I would usually want to go for a run to deal with it. And it's exactly. like when you're injured and this is something I would deal with by going for a run and you can't. And it's hard to kind of find some place to for an outlet for that. Yeah. Um, so where can we get uh, the pain journal, get more information, follow along with you?
1: oh yeah so you can get it at doc um it's there it's on the website it's on a lot of the podcast episodes at the bottom of the show notes page uh, but if you go to docontherun.com, there's a self-help uh section or, or uh, like courses on running injuries and it's on there as well um but we'll put a link in the uh show notes where you can get the pain journals for you so we'll send that to you so that you can just give it to all your listeners uh so that they can get that and uh, we can give you a link for the to get to the runner's uh, rapid recovery journal as well. But you know, the, the, the pain journal is actually one of the pages like it in, in the back of the runner's rapid recovery journal. Cause it's just central to the whole idea of like figuring out you got to have some place, right. You got to be able to sort of take inventory of how bad it is and then met, come up with a plan, you know, and that's really where you start is with the pain journal. That's the most important thing.
0: Yeah. I, I swear by it. Like I, I yeah. think it has been so helpful. I highly, highly recommend it. So Yeah.
1: Yeah. Great.
0: Thank you so much for your time. I will put a link in the show notes to all the information so that we can follow along and get more info. I hope that was interesting and informative. I'll put links to his website where you can get the pain journal, rapid recovery guide, and check out the other resources in today's show notes on runeatrepeat.com. Now it's time for the awards. The theme for today's awards are streaming services. If you're not familiar, First Place is an amazing life hack. First Place goes to Pluto TV, something my brother had been telling me about for the longest time. I want to say well over a year. It is a free app that has tons of TV. It is epic. There are complete channels dedicated to one show, The Amazing Race, Dallas Cowboys Cheerleaders Making the Team, which, confession, this is a first place award and a confession from me. When I first discovered it, my brother had been telling me about it. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a Netflix password. I understand. And I have a local TV app but I finally got the app and was able to cast it to my TV with, I don't know if we have a Fire Stick or Chromecast or whatever it is, but got the app. It, you can just throw it by the magic of the interwebs onto your TV, full screen, Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, an entire channel, 24-7, just all of the them trying out. I was so into it. I watched it for three days straight. When I had free time, I didn't neglect sleeper running because that's not my style. But I'm telling you, it is free. The app glitches out a little bit. If you can get it straight on your smart TV, then you are set. But highly recommend. Tons of channels. You'll find what you like. Trust me. That's first place. Second place goes to Netflix, which is also free if you have someone else's password just a little life hack for you. And if you are sharing your password with someone else, you get first place as a friend because trust me, we are so grateful. But Netflix is awesome in my opinion today because The Queen's Gambit, I watched it in almost real time with the rest of the world because I watched Tiger King very recently. I'm so late to the Tiger King party that no one's there. It's just me. Not even Joe Exotic is there anymore. So it's just me at this Tiger King party for one. But Queen's Gambit, awesome. The Crown, awesome. Still watching that, not done with it. Finished Tiger King, proceeded to listen to several podcasts about it, which I highly recommend. We can talk about that later. But The Crown has me going down a complete different rabbit hole of I've listened to books about the royal family now. I'm on my second book. I listened to a five-part series podcast. We're going to talk about this next time. The reason that this is the theme for today's awards is if you have not watched The Queen's Gambit, highly recommend The Crown. Watch that too, because I'm going to talk about all of the other things that I listened or read about the royal family after. It's just that's what put it in my head. And Tiger King, we should talk about the too. So if you are also with me as the last person to the party that hasn't watched that, check it out so that we could talk about it. That is all homework because I would like to discuss. Finally, third place goes to YouTube. Since we were going with a the theme, I thought I would give a shout out to YouTube because I appreciate on such a childlike happiness level that I can find random clips of Stepbrothers when I remember a line from the show or from the movie and I just think, what did they say there? And I pull it up and I watch two and a half minutes of Stepbrothers or Four Christmases, specifically the taboo scene of all the times in the world. So I recently got a Taboo. I did say it really funny there. For this to be a medium that is just audio, I find a way to work in the handful of words that I am not pronouncing properly. Anyways, my friend pointed out to me when I did an Instagram story that I was playing taboo, that I say taboo. And I just realized that is how I say it. I thought she was wrong. I just gave her a hard time for making fun of my accent. Okay. That's the finish line for today. So you have some homework. The Netflix, Queen's Gambit, The Crown, Tiger King, Get Pluto. If you are currently paying a lot from cable or whatever, however you're watching things probably won't be free forever, you know. You know if it's too good to be true. But for right now, it is good and it is true and you should check it out. And that's all. Thank you so much for listening. If you have 33 seconds, please rate the show in iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. I really appreciate it. Chime in on today's questions about the calendar on runeatrepeat.com or Instagram at runeatrepeat. And have a great run.